What is up? RJ McCollum here back with another episode of the Freelance Podcast. Now, depending on when you're listening to this, it may have been a little bit since uh, you've last heard my voice uh, speak some hopefully freelance advice, uh, but maybe you just binged the entire show and you just listened to me five minutes ago. Regardless, it feels good to be back. you know, it, the reality is, is I got busy and Hey, that's a good problem to have as a freelancer. And so there's nothing to complain about there, but some things had to fall by the wayside a little bit. And the podcast in general, uh, was just put on hold. So I'm back here. I'm not going to say we got a brand new season coming for you or anything like that. This particular episode is just kind of a in-between episode. And while I do have some plans for the podcast, Um, I don't have anything set in stone, so I'm not going to sit here and promise anything. But regardless, it feels good to be back staring at this computer screen, talking into this microphone, and really just feels good to to be back helping other freelancers. Because at the end of the day, that's what this whole podcast is about. And as I've been away from blogging videos, courses, and the podcast, it's nice to kind of come back into this and take a step back from, you know, my hectic schedule and say, how can I help other freelancers, specifically those looking to, you know, make the jump into full-time freelancing? Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, that could be your ultimate goal. I know it was for me about three years ago when I made that jump, and uh, I'm so happy that I did. Today's episode is going to be really a Q&A. So what happened earlier this week for me is I published a new update to my WordPress course. So for those of you that don't know, I have a course called How to Make a Living as a WordPress Developer, where I go into pretty much everything you need to know to do what it is that I do to make a living. And it not only has the business side of things, pricing, contracts, where to find clients, portfolios, and all that fun stuff, some of which I've talked about on the podcast, but I literally take you through the process of start to finish, soup to nuts, what I do when I develop a custom WordPress theme. So what I did is I published an update. I published some new content in there about uh, forms in WordPress and custom styling them and what the options are. And I also went through and added a module on setting up a Git deployment workflow, which I have adopted and has really added a nice level of efficiency for me. This was the first update to the course uh, that I did since I originally launched it. And so, of course, I did a few things once um, once that was done and published and up and live. And one of those things was the newsletter. Now, I always feel awkward, I guess, uh, when it comes to newsletters. One, because I don't send them out on any sort of regular schedule. I literally looked at the last time that I had sent a newsletter out, and it was two days off of uh, being a year exactly from the last time I sent it. So I knew that sending this newsletter would catch a lot of people off guard, and I knew that 
I couldn't just make it salesy. Like that's just not me to, hey, this course is great. It's going to make you millions of dollars and buy, buy, buy. So I literally started out the email with, you know, hey, just a heads up. This is an ad for my course. So you can stop now and unsubscribe if you want. But there is a level of help that I want to offer as well. And if uh, if you keep reading, then you'll get to that. So with that said, the help that I offered was literally ask me anything, any question that you have, I will do my best to answer it thoroughly and be as helpful as I possibly can. So not only did I get a ton of unsubscribes, which I'm totally cool with, uh, I did get a couple sales of the course, so that was nice as well. But Almost what I was more excited for is I got some legitimate questions and one uh, or ones I should say that I'm actually excited to answer and hopefully help out the people that ask them. So that's what this whole episode is going to be. I'm going to go through each of these questions and I'm going to do my best to answer them in hopefully a non-vague way and a way that will be helpful to the people that answered them. So we're going to get right into it. And this question or these next questions come from Brandon. And uh, Brandon said, you know, hey, nothing was off limits. So I'm going to go there in quotes. And he just jumps right into it and says pricing. His first question is that it seems that local businesses around me consider $2,000 to be an expensive website. One place employs 40 plus people, but didn't want to have an expense much over $1,000. How do I find clients to charge more or convince these clients that the cost is well worth the benefits? This is a great question because I think a lot of us listening, myself included, this is something, a scenario that we live day in and day out. We're trying to work locally, kind of where we're comfortable, where we're from, and where we may know some people, and we're trying to drum up business here. And we may get some leads, you know, depending on how we're doing it. Maybe it's cold calls, cold emails, inquiries from our website, however you're getting leads where you're at. And then you get to start to go through the process, right? You go through your sales process, and eventually you get to a point where money is discussed. And you get excited because, oh man, I can help these people. I can do X, Y, and Z for them. It's going to be great. They're going to get a benefit. I'm going to get a benefit and everything's going to be good. And you present this number to them uh, in Brandon's, Brandon's example. You know, he says uh, $2,000, $2,000, I can do X, Y, and Z for you. And almost everything comes to a halt. The response you get in a lot of situations when dealing with, uh, we'll say, smaller local businesses is a large line item for them. So they typically give you some sort of response that ends with, you know, oh, we really like what you have to say, what you have to offer, but we're really not looking to spend that much money right now. And it's a little defeating. And when it happens kind of over and over and over, I totally get where you're coming from here, Brandon, because how do you deal with that? So here's a couple things that I think we need to think about in terms of who we're looking at, what our ideal pricing range is for a project, and kind of how this all ties together. So I want to start with the idea of who we're dealing with. We're dealing with local businesses. And Brandon actually gives an example. He spoke with one place that employs 40 plus people. So, you know, it's a mid-sized place more so than small. You know, we're not talking about a five to 10 person business. You know, 40 plus is a decent sized business. And they didn't want to have 
an expense much over $1,000 for a, a website in this case. Even though that example was a mid-sized business, I need, you th- I need you to think about the small local businesses that are not large chains or franchises or anything like that. I need you to think about them much like you think to yourself. It's very easy when you provide a service and you get comfortable and you understand the benefits that your service can provide clients, it's really easy to look at something and say, okay, well, I've offered them to build them a website that can do a number of great things for them. And in my opinion, I'm giving that at a great price of $2,000. The value may be there. And it's quite possible that that $2,000 can be recouped as a return on their investment and having you build a website. But when you are a small business owner, even if you are a relatively successful small business owner, and I'm, I'm talking about myself right now, right? So if I had to spend $2,000 on my business for something, especially something that's as subjective as a website, you know, you have to think about that's a large line item in a budget, right? So yes, I'm happy to spend, you know, thousands of dollars on computers and monitors and my setup and everything because those things are crucial to me performing my job. But websites are a challenge. And one of the reasons that they're a challenge and that, you know, hey, I can do this for $2,000 and they come back and say, oh, that's just more than we were looking to spend is you need to think about a couple things. So one, you know, businesses understand they need a website, but why do they need to spend $2,000 with you to get a website when they could do it themselves? You know, you need to think about some of the, the biggest commercials that you see online for that kind of target small businesses. You have Squarespace, which actually had an ad in the Super Bowl this year. So you have Squarespace. You have Wix is another really big one, where essentially these large businesses are able to offer websites to businesses. And, you know, in the case of Squarespace, I'll even say good websites uh, for a very low monthly fee. I mean, we're talking, you know, maybe 20 bucks or so. And so you multiply that over the course of a year, say somebody's spending 20 bucks. Well, really, that's only 240 bucks a year for everything that they need, hosting, content management system, and, you know, Squarespace is going to update their system. And so, When we look at it from the business's uh, perspective and we take away our kind of biased view of, I know this can provide value and I know if I do this and you get two clients from what I do for you, then the website's already paid for itself and then some. When you take our our biased and maybe even tunnel-visioned perspective on what we offer, that's what you're up against. That's what you're competing and the name of the game for local businesses is they just they need to make sure that their business is thriving, right? And so when they think about a website, they don't necessarily think about all the different things that a website can facilitate in terms of getting clients, interacting with new clients, streamlining processes in their business, and a number of different things, all of these things that a website can do. The problem, I think, a lot of it, a lot of the time is that we as the freelancer or we as the person trying to get business from uh, other local businesses is that we, we're not pitching it correctly. 
So this, this breaks into the answer. How do I find clients to charge more or convince these clients that the cost is well worth their benefits? So I'm going to go ahead and say, Brandon, the very first thing that you have to stop uh, pitching things as a website. We have to stop saying, I can do a website for you. A website, when you use the term website, it is a very broad term that is subject to multiple, or I guess not subject to, it is subjective, right? So everybody has their own determination of what a website is, what a website is used for, and what a website is worth. Now, for those of us that make websites for a living, we understand the true positive impact it can have on businesses. I've already said that a bunch, but as a small business owner, I'm, I am I don't understand necessarily why I need to spend $2,000 on a website when I could spend $240 a year for a website, you know, for something that I'm in complete control of. So I think what we need to do as freelancers that are looking to work with these local businesses is we need to shun the kind of broad terms that we use in order to um, pitch our services, a website being the main one, right? So really, I think if we look at what we can offer is, I think if we were to look at a local small business, and for whatever reason, as I'm talking through this, I'm thinking of a, a tire shop that's just down the road for me. It's a, it's a locally owned tire shop. I think they, I think they only have one location. And, you know, what, if I just come to them and say, hey, I can build a website for you for $2,000. It's going to be awesome and do all these things. Do you want to do it? Yes or no. You know, they're, they're going to say no. That's a, a big line item for them in their budget. If I come to them and say, you know, it could try to learn a little bit about their business. You know, what happens when somebody comes here to, to your tire shop, right? You need to get information about their vehicle and maybe even go as far as getting VIN numbers and all these different things, right? What if I approach that and said, after learning a little bit about the business and say, okay, you know, here's something that I can do that can streamline and make things easier for your customers as well as you that can collect information before they even you know, come to your place of business and, and partake in your services. You know, what if I was able to kind of present that to them and use a website as a vessel for accomplishing that task? Now, see, I'm speaking directly to them about something that can benefit them and chances are is a pain point both for their customers and for them. Now, I'm Again, using a website as a vessel here, but the way I'm pitching it to them is for them to gain efficiency and allow their customers to have a better experience than if they were to go to, you know, Discount Tire, a large nationwide chain down the road. So I think when you're talking about, okay, we deal with local businesses and we charge what we consider a fair and probably a lower price of $2,000, for example, to build them a website. And they come back and just say, you know, we didn't really want to spend anything over $1,000. Very common scenario. I think that you get over that by changing the way that you talk to the client, changing the changing what it is that you're offering to them, when in reality, you're not changing anything, you're just changing your approach. You're providing them benefits that come from the website that you can build for them instead of, hey, do you want a website, right? So hopefully, Brandon, that answers your question, uh, that particular question, because you did have a couple ones. So we're going to jump right into the next one. He says, how quickly can I turn around a, or 
I, meaning me, he said, how quickly can you turn around a small to mid website project? Currently, it takes me two to three months to design and build a custom website. It's not a sustainable business model until I can start charging six to $8,000 per site. And Brandon, I'm going to tell you right now, I think you're right. If it takes you two to three months to design and build a custom website and you're fighting against clients that are struggling to, you know, want to pay more than a thousand dollars for your services, a hundred percent, that's just not sustainable, right? You probably have to build minimum four webs or, you know, bill for four websites a month in order to, you know, make them enough money to, to live and, and all that fun stuff. And if you just do the math on that, you know, at four billing for four websites a month and each one takes two to three months, you're going to constantly have to have 10 to 12 to 15 websites that you're working on or closing or finishing at one time. And that's just too much, right? A hundred percent. That's not sustainable. And the obvious answer is, yeah, we'll charge more, right? But we have to remember the previous question. It's not just a matter of charging more. So, The initial question was, how quickly can you turn around a small to to mid website project? Now, one thing I do want to explain on my end is that I don't do a lot of design. I work with agencies or other designers who then allow me to develop the work. So I am going to use an example, though, because there is one particular designer who I work with on the majority of projects that I do. We have a pretty good clip in which we move, and I know that if I get a client, I know timeframes from him that I can count on. And the straight answer is no more than a month. Um, and honestly, that's, that's, that's even longer than it needs to be. When it comes to building a small to mid website project, and what I'm going to do is clarify what, in my opinion, a small to mid website project is, is that it's a project for, you know, let's again, take a local business. Uh, It's really their site's going to be mainly information about their services. It's going to have a contact page with a form on it. And, you know, their interior pages are going to be roughly the same, just with different content. And their homepage will have, you know, a hero area, maybe an about section or a blog feed or something along those lines. That's what I would consider a small uh, you know, to mid a website project. And uh, I don't, th- it, it takes me roughly five to 10 hours to to knock a project out like that. So five to 10 hours can translate to one day, it can translate to two days, or it can translate to an entire week if I just kind of going through it uh, and, and spending an hour here, an hour there. And roughly, you know, the designer that I work with, um, it's, it's about the same for him. You know, he could easily turn something around in a week. And, uh, you know, there's other things that change those timelines, like client feedback, how, um, you know, how close we get on the first try design-wise and how many revisions we have to do. So there's those aspects there. But, you know, for the most part, uh, small to mid website projects taking me about five to 10 hours, which means that I have the capacity to start and finish multiple projects on a monthly basis. So, Brandon, if we use your example from the first question of, you know, let's say that you're able to get a client and and let's just say that you're able to, you know, you you kind of, I don't want to say give in, but you start taking jobs for $1,000, right? And if it takes a week for design, a week for development, you know, you could be doing two sites um, per month, but the more you kind of do it, right? The the more you do something, typically the better, faster that you get. And that's why 
I can answer now that something takes me a small to mid-sized project takes me anywhere between five to ten hours where it used to take me a long time because also I only moonlighted as a freelancer. I wasn't working full time. So that's how long it takes me. Honestly, I'm not sure, Brandon, how far you are into uh, designing and developing websites, but, um, you know, the more you do it, just the, the better you will get. You know, take a look at things that you're doing over and over and over on each project and find a way to systematize that. You know, there's a, there's a certain WordPress theme that I start with that I've built over time that has a lot of the heavy lifting things that I know I'm going to need. Um, and, you know, that cuts down time in order to get right into the, into the development. So there's that question. So, Brandon, thank you very much for those questions. I appreciate you taking advantage, and hopefully, uh, you know, you those are some useful answers that you can uh, take to the bank, <laughs> hopefully. And, of course, if there's anything else I can help you out with, don't hesitate to reach out. All right. I have three more questions here, and they all come from uh, Jax. I, I'm, I'm assuming Jax. Jax, if you're listening to this and the, uh, the name is uh, mispronounced, I apologize. But Jax says, thanks for working this AMA. I have several questions to ask, and he's done a nice job of listing them out for me, so we're going to go down the list here. So number one, since you're a WordPress developer, how do you get a design of a website? Do you make it yourself, or do you outsource? The short answer is 99.9% of the projects that I get, I do not design. Honestly, when I do design, it's for personal projects where I'm either using that as an opportunity to uh, you know, work on my design because it's not something I feel I'm super strong at, or I just also don't want to pay somebody to design it. So I am not doing... Um, really any of the designs that I build custom WordPress themes for. So how do I get the designs? Am I outsourcing or do I, you know, what, what is it that I do? Well, like I've alluded to in this episode and like I've talked about in many episodes past, I have many relationships with agencies, with individual freelancers that I work with that are the opposite of me where they are designing but not developing. So I do their development, they do my design, and that's kind of this nice reciprocal relationship that we have where it's mutually beneficial for us to work together. So to answer your question, Jax, what happens is I am provided the PSD from a designer for whoever I am working with, whether it's another agency that has a project for me, whether it's a designer that has a project for me, or I'm currently working through a project that's in the design process right now where it is my client and I have hired a designer that I normally work with. So he is doing the design and will give that to me and I will handle the development. So that's how I get the designs on my website. And it's hard at first to just jump into these relationships. A lot of the people that I work with, I've been working with for years and, uh, and there's a level of trust and comfort there. If you don't have those relationships currently, 
my recommendation would be that, you know, you have to start somewhere and it's usually at the beginning and you can't just make a relationship overnight, but I would search for other freelancers in your area that do the design that you're in need of and then just talk with them. Just say, hey, this is what I do. Um, You know, I'm looking for somebody to help me out with design. Here's kind of what I would like to see happen out of the relationship. Is this something you're interested in? And it's even better if you can have that conversation when you have a client ready to spend some money and you can say okay great well let's try it out i have this much budget for this design can you know will this work for you and then you can actually try that process out and go from there next question he says how is your flow when closing a new client he says for him specifically he uh he gets the specs for the website through Typeform. he sends a quote then sends an invoice gets 50 percent deposit sends the design and and all, you know that process kind of goes through to the end so here's real quick my process um of you know working with a client deciding if we are going to move forward and working together what details i get and everything like that now this is a process i go through for or go through in my WordPress course, because there is the business aspect of it too, I really dive deep into um, where to find clients, how to go through that sales process, what uh, you know your contract needs to have, and stuff like this. So in this instance, I'm just going to kind of quickly go through what my process is. But throughout the sales process, it's really just it starts with the back and forth with the client to determine what they're needing, um, if I can provide that to them, if we feel like it might be a good fit. And of course, from that, those conversations comes a, an initial quote. So I'll send them a quote that pretty much says it's going to cost this much money and, and we will be providing you know services X, Y, and Z. If we agree to that, then what happens next is that quote turns into a contract that has obviously a number of different things in there to protect both parties and really uh, lay out the scope of the project. And then so we will... Uh, both sign that contract. And essentially from that, uh, that contract signing, that is when the project starts. Now, in terms of collecting money, for the longest time, I did 50 up front, 50 at the end of completion, and that works great, you know, especially if you're not working on large projects. That's a pretty standard way to go about it. Recently, though, what I've been doing is going a... Um, 40, 30, 30 route. So 40% of the project price is required up front as the deposit to get started. 30% of the, so essentially I break down the project into two milestones, design and development. So that's where that remaining 60% comes in place. So we get 40% as a down payment, 30% once the design is completed, and then 30% once the development is completed. I really like this a lot because We still get that upfront money, you know, 40% of a project is a pretty decent chunk, so that allows me to pay some people at the beginning and get the project started. But getting that another 30% chunk after a milestone of design has been taken care of, it just, what it does, in my opinion, is not only do you content to make sure that money is flowing while you're continuing to working on the project, instead of, say, starting a project and getting 50%, and then six months goes by, you know, and the project gets delayed and pushed and expanded and all these different things. And then you're, you're, you know, six months away from getting the remaining 50%. The 40, 30, 30 method, it allows money to, con- 
to come in at the beginning, the middle, and the end. So you're seeing a little bit more income while you're working on something, which is a great way to keep you motivated. It also gets the client used to paying you. And that's always a good thing because if you hit them with, you know, if you have a project where you get 50% in the beginning and then six months goes by until the project is done and then you hit them with another 50% large invoice, you know, not that it's a big deal, but the more um, comfortable somebody feels in handing money over, the easier it is, the less you have to do follow-up and all those different things. So sales process, uh, quote, contract, initial payment, 40, 30, 30 as far as payment is concerned. Um, and then, you know, not till the very end do they get the, the completed site delivered. So that's how I go through the process of working with my clients. Now, the last question that he has, and last question I'm going to answer on this episode, how much do you charge for a custom WordPress theme? Is there any formula, uh, formula that you use, including a design PSD? So including design, I'm typically a developer. What can you charge, right? So there's so many different factors that go into this and, and not, not to be pushing the course, but literally I spend a whole module of my how to make a living as a WordPress developer course on pricing and specifically realistic pricing because we all don't get to start at five, six, seven, eight thousand $8,000 projects. We usually start, and I know I started with $150 projects, and now I'm charging now I have a lot of retainers in place, so I'm not doing as much per project pricing, but I'm charging anywhere between, you know, 1500 to 3500 for development of a custom WordPress theme, not including design. So you can't go from, you know, small projects to big projects. It takes time. You get better. You expand your skill set. You get faster, and, and all those different things go into doing it. What I would consider, though, just a couple things that I would consider when pricing, um, out projects is you need to consider the time it takes you to accomplish something. So we heard from Brandon's questions, takes them usually two to three months in order to do a site design, start to finish through development. Okay. So if something's going to take you two to three months, how much money do you need to make from that project in order to pay your bills? Or if you're moonlighting, make it worth your time, right? You need to, you need to take in time into uh, factor here. How much time is it going to take you to get this project done? The next thing you need to do is you need to look at the difficulty factor. So is this something you're very comfortable with? Or is this something that you may have to learn a new skill for, right? So depending on the difficulty factor, that should also have some sort of... Um, some sort of impact on what it is you're charging pricing wise. If something's going to be more difficult because they need more advanced features, then you should charge more, right? That's very simple. If you go to uh, buy a new car, right? They always have the base model, but every time you get something nicer or something that works or, or you know is a little more advanced, you pay for it. So that should happen in your pricing as well. The other thing that you need to think about, too, to a certain extent, is you need to think about the client that you're working with. You need to think about what your situation is right now at this moment. Freelancing, especially if you're doing it for the majority of your income or the total of your income, it is very much it, it very much ebbs and flows, right? You hear about peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. You have times where you're very, very busy and you're on top of the world, but then you have 
you know, times where just nothing is happening. So that's one thing, you know, obviously you want to be as consistent with your pricing as possible, but that's also going to, um, or should play a factor in your pricing. Does this project give me good exposure? Now, I hate to even say that because when clients say, oh, you know, I know so many people, never buy into that, never believe that (laughs) unless, you know, it's in writing and those people are already handed you credit cards before you even started. But there is something to be said, though. You know, could this be a really good portfolio piece for me? Maybe you don't have a lot going on and and you need to pay rent. So, you know, that's going to – you may price a project – in a way that really gets your foot in the door in order to make that happen. Or maybe you have your rent paid for the next three years and you're going to price your projects, you know, and make sure that they're worth your while. You're going to only work with $25,000 projects instead of $500 projects because why waste all that time if you have, you know, so much of a runway. So those are three things that, um, you know, you, you, you really need to think about. There's not necessarily... Well, I guess I'll say this. If I had to give you a formula, it's going to go back to time. It's going to go back to time. And as much as I don't like charging hourly or anything like that, the, the simplest way to get a baseline of pricing is to say, okay... It takes me, uh, and I'll just use my example uh, earlier, a small to mid-sized project, which is probably what the majority of us are working on. It takes me anywhere between five to 10 hours. So I'm going to kind of land right in the middle. I'm going to say eight hours. It takes me on average eight hours to build out a site like that. How much money do I want to make, right? And especially when you're a young freelancer, it's really easy to still think in terms of an hourly rate, right? So what would an ideal hourly rate be for me? Let's just start with $25. Okay, $25 an hour, that would be great. Takes me eight hours to do something. That is $200. Okay, Uh, let me do some math real quick and make sure that's right. 25 times eight, yes, 200. Okay, I can do math, I promise. So if is that worth it to me? Uh, I think that's I think that's what you have to ask yourself. You have to ask yourself, is that worth it? If I put eight hours into something, let's just break that up into two days worth of work. Is $200 for two days worth of work, is that worth it to me? You know, depending on your answer, essentially what you change in that formula is you can't necessarily change the amount of time it takes you to do something Uh, But what you can change is you can change the amount you charge per hour. So you just mess with that number, right? And let's say, okay, if uh, I want to make $50 an hour, so now we've doubled what we charge per hour while still taking the same time. So that brings us to $400. Okay, if I spent two days working on something, is $400 for that work, is that worth it to me? And you'll see that by going through that exercise, you actually can use a formula to at least give you a baseline. It at least gives you an idea and gets you thinking about things in terms of, here's how much time it takes me, here's how much money I'd like to make in order to make it worth it, and then you can bring back all of the different factors and things that we talked about to to mess with that number. So again, the formula I would use to really just set a baseline to to. Do a little bit of critical thinking so you're not just pulling prices out of your ass, which I did for the longest time, is the amount of time something takes you on average, and then you multiply that by what you'd like to make per hour until you get to a number that you feel is worth it and you feel confident that you can get from clients. That's it. That's all the questions. 
Felt really good to be back on the podcast. I hope that these questions not only help the people that ask them, but helped you listening. And as always, guys, if you have any questions, it doesn't just, you know, you don't just have to wait till you get a newsletter from me asking for questions. If there's anything I can do to help you out, I'm certainly happy to do so. So feel free to email me, rj at rjmccollum.com. RJMcCollum.com is where you can find me online and get in touch with me if you don't want to remember my email address. You can learn about Hector, the project management app that I built for freelancers. And then you can also take a look at this course that I've been talking about (laughs) throughout the entire episode of the podcast, How to Make a Living as a WordPress Developer. It literally handles all of the business side of it. And then I walk you through how I develop custom WordPress themes for clients in order to make a living that supports me and my family. I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. I hope this finds you in a good season of freelancing. And until next time, I'll see you then.